This Valentine's Day, Dunkin's got the perfect pairings to show your love. So get down on one knee with a dozen brownie batter donuts and a cocoa mocha signature latte. Or make them swoon with a strawberry dragon fruit Dunkin' refresher with a Cupid's Choice Donut. Are you ready for love? America runs on Dunkin'. Price and participation may vary. Limited time offer. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Red Leg Nation Radio, uh, the only podcast where you can hear me talk about the Cincinnati Reds, <laughs> which makes it sound like the worst podcast ever. But joining me today for episode number 151 is uh, someone you do want to listen to. It's our good friend Jason Linden. How are you today, Jason? I'm well and not at all certain that people want to listen to me. I know. Well, we're going to find out. When this has a record number, uh, record low number of downloads, we'll know that we're not very popular, Jason. <laughs> uh, we'll see. Uh, you know, the season's over, and the Reds haven't lost in the last week. That's I know, undefeated for the last week. It's amazing. Oh, it's great news. It's great news. Finally, this this whole thing's turning around. We've hit rock bottom, and now on the Reds' way back up. And actually, I do think the Reds have hit rock bottom, and that's going to be something we're going to talk about, I imagine, quite a bit uh, this off season, uh, because I think both of us agree that the Reds, the trajectory is aiming up from this point. Now, we don't know where on that uh, up curve they are. I hope they're close to the top. Uh, I think they're probably a little closer to the bottom, but I think we both agree that trajectory is uh, is headed in the right direction, don't you think? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I think I think bottom came along about mid-June. Yeah. And it's been sort of slowly climbing uphill since then. Well, we're going to talk about... Uh, as I said, over the offseason, we'll be talking about what's going on with the Reds and what, what they need to do to continue that ascent. And and the the new general manager, Dick Williams, and he is the general manager now, I guess. He's taken over from Walt Jockety, who moves into an advisory role. I'm not sure exactly what his role is in the front office. But Dick Williams met with uh, some of the, the media at the end of the season and uh, talked about a few things. And uh, let me just uh, throw out a couple of quotes here. Maybe let's see if we can unpack them. Uh, Williams said, uh, in the offseason, his priorities are to supplement the pitching, and the bench is obviously an area we can improve. The day-to-day position players are in pretty good shape. We won't be playing in the high end of the free agent market, but we do anticipate having some money to invest uh, this year. Hopefully it will depend on where the best values are for the team. I could see spending some money on the bullpen. What jumps out at you uh, from that quote? Um, I, I guess it is at least somewhat encouraging that the Reds are kind of ready to go back out onto the free agent market. Um, you know, I think I don't necessarily, I've, I've long been a proponent of not overspending on relief pitching, but, oh boy, um, given what we just witnessed for 162 games, I'm okay with them spending a bit on the bullpen. Um, I'm also interested, frankly, to just see how Dick Williams does on the free agent market. Um, I've never been as hardcore anti-jockety as, as a lot of people were, and I think he had a lot of real strengths, but one area where I never really was happy with what he did was with his free agent signings. Um, I feel like he had a, w- a way of kind of buying high, um, buying high. Um, and it just, it didn't, it, yeah, I felt like he would get players and then they would just crash. Like he, and there were always warning signs, cough, skip Schumacher, cough. Um, right. So I'm just I'm interested to see what what Dick Williams does. Well, I think that's a couple of good points. You know, first of all, this to me is uh, evidence, more tangible evidence, although it's not really tangible yet. But it's, it's sort of uh, that the Reds are have bottomed out and they're looking to really start uh, plugging the holes and really start competing in the near term. 
which is that they are ready to dive back into the free agent market and, and you know, they're not going to go out and get Araldus Chapman. No. Uh, but um they you know they're 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 ready to start plugging up some of the the leaks here. And, and so that's that's encouraging to me. And and they can also probably now kind of see after having this year they they probably have a real good sense of where those leaks are. I think a lot of this year was probably let's see what we have. And now that they've got a better sense of that, they can be like, okay, now what do we, what what do we want to get that we're not sure that we have? And I think the bullpen is definitely a spot where they have reason to think there's not much help. Right. Yes. Absolutely. And and th- and that's what we said from day one this season. <clears throat> that that's all we could really hope for. That was the best we could hope for was that they get some idea of where they are uh, in in the life cycle of this rebuild, as Williams has called it. And um, and they did get some answers. There's still some questions out there, but they did get some answers. The other thing that uh, that, that quote says to me is, or there's something you said about that quote that uh, really sticks out to me is, I think we are going to learn something, I hope anyway, about who Dick Williams is. He's really a little bit of a, a mystery to a lot of us. I know he went, he graduated from the University of Virginia, so he's clearly a brilliant scholar. Uh, but, clearly. <laughs> but, they're, all, they're all Virginia all, graduates. All of them, all of them are, are amazing. Um, present company accepted, but we don't know whether or not he's going to be a a good GM. We just don't know. He said some encouraging things, and he is a little more open in some of his comments, and even some things that I've uh, been told, uh, off, sort of off the record, uh, g- gives me reason to believe that he's open to analytics and to uh, you know I don't want to call it the money ball uh, way of, uh, of of judging uh, or of uh, handling a ball club, but He's certainly not closed-minded. He's not old school, I don't think. But now, on the other hand, you know, we don't really know how he's going to do. He's not made any trades on his own yet, and and free agents. Are we going to get the uh, the Jack Hanahan's of the world? I don't know. Are we going to get uh, the who else? A uh, Wilson Valdez? Uh, you know, some guys like that. That uh, that Jockety. You're right, Jockety. For all his uh, all the, the the things you can say about him positively and, and and regardless of what some people want to say there are plenty of things that you can praise jockety for uh there are plenty of things you can criticize him for as well but um the, the free agency uh the way he filled out his bench the way he uh you know handled filling in the, the holes on the roster was never to me never uh very well done uh, williams started this week actually by signing uh or claiming uh, off waivers, Arizmendi Alcantara, formerly a, a top prospect with the uh, Cubs, was with uh, Oakland last year. And I say top prospect. He was a good prospect. He was a top 10 prospect in their organization. Um, still just 24, has never hit the ball in the major league level. But it seems to me like that, that's the type of guy you want to take a chance on putting on, the, on your bench rather than a, a Jack Hanahan type. And so that that, that was encouraging. Yeah, I can kind of see the case to have, <clears throat> excuse me, kind of like, I'll give you like one character guy. You know what I mean? Like one guy, if if they're on the bench and they're not figuring to get a ton of at-bats, you can, have a, you can have a guy there. And, you know, I also understand you don't want somebody who might be a legit prospect on the bench. So that doesn't go well. But otherwise, you know, better to have somebody who's kind of, who, who has at least some upside. Let's not have somebody who's, you know, about to reach the bottom of his career. And like I said, you can have one character guy. You can have one guy who everybody likes and who kind of keeps the clubhouse going, because I'm sure there's some legitimate value in that, but but that can't be everything. Yeah, the Miguel Cairo type. Yeah. Yeah. Um, 
you know, something you were saying about Williams, you know, kind of off the record stuff, you know, I, I suppose the things I know aren't even technically off the record. They're just not exactly on the record, but just hanging around the bats organization, just kind of in passing and in conversation, it, it became pretty clear. And I might've said this on the podcast podcast before. And if I'm repeating myself, listeners, forgive me, but, um, the the sense I was given was that there were was a lot more analytical thinking coming from the Reds, a lot of interest in sort of um, biomechanics and and even you know like mental health evaluation, just kind of really checking in on all the different aspects of the players and and things that you would really want to know that your your favorite team was kind of doing and paying attention to all of a sudden. Yeah, I think that it's pretty clear that the Reds were have been behind the. Uh, the curve on that and uh, I'm hearing similar things and so you never know what to make of it or whether they can actually put that into action and uh, and and make a plan based on uh, on that to really move this organization forward but it's encouraging you know going out and spending money on the bullpen is not something that I have ever advocated for it's it, it's so easy to make a mistake with with a bullpen arm because uh, relievers yeah. are fungible, they they come and they go, and that that's something that maybe concerns me a little bit about who they're gonna who they who they're gonna spend money on and how much. I mean, yeah, you, the the problem with relief pitchers is that to to really know what any pitcher is capable of, like you need 150 or 200 innings, and with relief pitchers, by the time they typically accumulate that many innings, they've it's taken enough time that they've already become a different pitcher, you know, because stuff changes over the course of three or four years. So you just, you never really know what you're getting with a relief pitcher. Right. And so it really concerns me how they're going to go about uh, filling in the, the rest of the bullpen. Uh, you know, th- that sort of leads into something else that Williams said in, when he met with the media. And I'm just going to run through this quote here uh, quickly. <clears throat> I said, uh, we're going to begin the process of evaluating we saw this year. Um, not just how Lorenzen and Iglesias are doing, but how everyone else is doing, how it complements the whole package. Uh, it's important to determine where they add, where Lorenzo and Iglesias add the most value next year. And then he goes on to talk about them being in the bullpen. And uh, if they're in the bullpen, I know what you'll see is they'll be used in such a way that we maximize their innings. Had a lot of talk with Brian Price, Mac Jenkins, Ted Power, all the mind that you got really talented pitchers there. And if you do put them in the bullpen, it's not going to be with the intent of making them one-inning guys. They're too talented for that. I think we would anticipate using them in such a way, uh, let's see, basically multiple innings. Hopefully we'll put some other guys in that bullpen that can pitch multiple innings. As a smaller market team, you don't have the luxury of paying for the premium guy just to get uh, three outs all the time. And so, I don't know, that sounds like they're trying to find an inefficiency a little bit there and sound like maybe they've got some idea of what they want to do in terms of the guys they're seeking. I'm not really happy. I won't be happy if Lorenzen and Iglesias neither one get a chance to start in the spring. Uh if they're both just destined for the bullpen, I won't be happy because I think it's a missed opportunity to at least see what they've got out of the, yeah. in the rotation. But if they are in the bullpen next year, it, it makes your job of crafting a, a legitimate bullpen easier. And um, and if they're trying to corner the market on these multiple inning guys, that's a really interesting strategy. Yeah, it, it is. And, you know, if you think about it, like, I don't know if this is what the Reds would do, but, you know, imagine the circumstance. If they basically tell... Lorenzen and Iglesias that like they should expect a two inning outing say every three days like then what are what are we looking at there that is that's going to get you about 110 innings out of them each something like that that's you know that's 220 innings or you know roughly between the two of them that 
presumably would be very, you know, very valuable innings. Sure, yeah. Some some excellent value, I guess, that that they would add. And it kind of, you know, I, I was saying to you briefly before we started recording it that one of the things I saw, I saw it on Twitter and somebody raised this point. I can't even remember who, so I can't give anybody a hat tip here. But they pointed out um, how much we, like, kind of fetishize the preparation and the routine and all of that for starting pitchers and how we treat them so carefully and, and, and whatnot. But with relief pitchers, the expectation is always just they should be ready to go at the drop of the hat whenever they whenever they're called upon. And those two things seem so diametrically opposed. Like, you know, fundamentally, a, a relief pitcher and a starting pitcher are still both pitchers. Like, so, you know, you would assume that if if routine and whatnot is really valuable for a starting pitcher, that having some sort of routine, having some sort of defined role might would also be probably pretty good for a relief pitcher. And you can maybe understand that, you know, a guy who maybe, and I'm not in any way necessarily advocating for the sort of traditional closer role, but a guy who's used to being called on in, say, the ninth inning, if you were to all of a sudden call on him in the sixth inning, he may not be mentally prepared. Um, so you may have to set a, a thing up, or it may be useful to guys to basically be like, heart of the order after the seventh inning in a close game, that's when you're going to come in. Like, so that lets a guy know, okay, this is when I have to be prepared, this is when I have to start be, being in that mindset that I need to get ready to come in, just to have them some kind of role so that you don't necessarily expect them to sort of be mentally on all the time. Um, it, was, it wasn't something I'd ever really thought about before, but kind of the way it was phrased when I read it, I think it was phrased in the right way that it made me sort of question my previously held belief that, like, whatever, you should always use your best pitcher at the, at the optimal moment, and I could see where actually that might not be the case. There might be a case for their for sometimes holding him off because it's in it's in his best interest, which is in the long-term best interest of the team. Well, it's certainly something I hadn't considered before, and we are always have, have always been highly critical of managers' tendency to fall back on the, these bullpen rules. This guy's going to pitch the seventh. This guy's going to pitch the eighth. This guy's going to pitch the ninth, no matter what the game situation is. And, uh, and that's something I hadn't really considered that, uh, you know, these guys are gearing themselves up, and this is part of their mental preparation, just like we uh, starters have their game day routines. Uh, but I think that you hit on the, the answer to that, which is if you tell a reliever, you're my most important reliever, or you're one of my, you're one of my key guys, and I want you in there when the game is tight late in, late in the game, whether that's 7th, 8th, or ninth, And so get them ready to, uh, you know, answer the, answer the bell when the yeah. game gets tight, maybe they can adjust their mental preparation. Uh, um, it's, inter- it's an interesting thought. Uh, I don't know what Buck Showalter was thinking the other night when he didn't yeah, bring no, we, are, we are in no way condoning <laughs> Buck Showalter's bullpen management. <laughs> it sounded like you were starting to to uh, no. defend Buck Showalter there, Jason. No, no, no. <laughs> no, 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 no. <laughs> uh, and for those of you that didn't see it, Showalter had an extra inning game and went with pretty much every uh, pathetic pitcher that he had in his staff before going to uh, – his uh, you know dynamite uh, best pitcher he's got on his roster there and the guy never pitched it, you know and it, it was shades of uh of Araldus Chapman not pitching in a wild card game for the Reds and it's just yeah. it's, didn't they actually have uh, uh Logan Andrusek didn't they acquire him and have him warming up in the bullpen oh my uh, gosh oh blast from the past everyone's favorite uh, former Reds reliever Logan Andrusek oh man uh, you, you're banned from the podcast for that one from here from here <laughs> 
on out. It wasn't even a crack on Adam Dunn. I didn't know there was another way to get banned from the podcast. Oh, yeah, he's uh, Logan Andrusik. We're not mentioning him. Uh, but okay, so it's a really interesting. It's going to be an interesting thing to watch throughout uh, next season. How Brian Price, how the Reds decide they're going to manage their bullpen. And if they can add a couple of uh, interesting arms that can p- pitch multiple innings and you get three or four guys out there that can, you know, probably keep Singrani around to be, uh, he really just probably needs to be a lefty, you know, to pitch against lefties. I don't know. I don't know if he's ever going to throw enough strikes to stick around. I'm really frustrated with Tony Singrani, but all of a sudden you can see how pretty quickly if Lorenzo and Iglesias are there and they're both, uh, you know, you're able to use them in, in a creative way for a hundred plus innings. All of a sudden, you're not very far away from a talented bullpen or a bullpen that can really help the team, which is amazing considering we're, you know, six months ago had the worst bullpen in the history of baseball. Yeah, I I agree with everything you just said. Like, you know, it, it's if they can get more innings out of those guys, there's um there's a player I bring up semi frequently just because it's been such a long time since the Reds have had a guy like this, but I think kind of he might be uh, in some ways a good prototype for how they might use Lorenzo or Iglesias, but while using those guys in kind of a more per- premier role. Uh, this is a blast from the Reds past year, but is Scott Sullivan. Oh, yeah. Who pitched, you know, in the neighborhood of 100 innings every year for like five years in a row. And it's like, you know, that's that's real value. Um, and it's and he was a pretty solid pitcher. Like he wasn't a mop up guy. He was kind of solid middle relief. But you know uh, he wouldn't have hit quite fit as the sort of elite reliever in the way that we think of it today. But you know he did that and he held it up consistently. And I think they did kind of a good job of managing his expectations and his workload. And and you know if you can do that with those other guys, then let's do it and and see what we can get out of them. Yeah, it's Scott Sullivan, who is amazingly number two on the Reds' all-time franchise list for games pitched for the, for the club. And, and a lot of people don't really remember Scott Sullivan. But I remember when he was uh, he was in Cincinnati, and they had Gabe White at the time, who was uh, – they, they were a pretty good tandem, lefty-righty tandem. And, uh, not, and, and neither one as talented as Lorenzen or Iglesias, but that is a pretty good – that's a pretty good analogy for, for what the Reds can do. And, and if you th- think about it – that year, that 1999. Well, throughout the time that Jack McKeon was manager, he was creative with his mm-hmm. bullpen, and he and he did do, uh, use those guys um, in a different way than we usually see it. So uh, that's that's a pretty good analogy. I you know I don't know. I'm I, I'm eager to see what they do, but I'm I, I'm still not giving up on the hope that next spring one or both of those guys at least gets a, a look at the, at the starting. At least Iglesias. I would love to see Iglesias get a look. I think, well, you know, yes, I, I agree. I think he's the more likely of the two to be destined for the bullpen if, if one of them's going to be a starter, just because he wants to be in the bullpen and uh, because I haven't seen his medical records, but I'm not encouraged by the fact that the Reds haven't really talked much about him being a starter. Uh, they have seen his medical records. I know, but I can dream. Oh, I can... Well, me too. I think he's the most talented pitcher in the organization as far as I'm concerned, just or maybe the most enjoyable to watch. Maybe it's probably a better uh, way to put it, but uh, I love everything about the way that guy pitches. Uh, I agree. Bronson Arroyo with talent, I call him, the way he drops uh, drops his arm angles and just uh, all kinds of crazy things with the baseball. Uh, Lorenzen says he wants to start. 
But uh, I'm also getting the sense uh, around the Reds organization that uh, they've got him pegged for the bullpen. I hope he at least gets a shot. I don't, I don't know if if Lorenzen has what it takes to be a starter. I, I just don't know. Uh, I don't see any harm in trying him. Yeah, um, Lorenzen I, was somebody I got to talk to when he was rehabbing um, with the bats uh, coming back from his injury, and. The, the sense you got is just that he is a supremely confident human being. Yeah. Um, which, you know, great. And that's something you want from your, from your players. Um, but it's also that kind of thing, you know, where you hear um, kind of the, the, the truism is, you know, that's what the manager's for. <laughs> that's what the general managers are for. Like, every, you want every player to want to stay out there all the time, and you want them to think that they can conquer the world. But it's your job to say... Mm, no. Right, right, yeah. And the thing about Lorenzen, uh, that people sort of, they lump him in with Iglesias, and I think they're really different uh, in terms of why one start, might get a chance to start and might not. You know, Iglesias has the shoulder issue, and the Reds have been very open that they're just not sure his shoulder's going to be able to stand up to the rigors of being a starting pitcher. Lorenzen, Lorenzen was hurt this year for a long time, but it wasn't anything that's uh, long-lasting. And the reason he was out for so long was he ended up with mono and, and was just weak uh, for a long time getting back, mm-hmm. as I recall. And so there are no physical issues that the Reds have ever said out loud uh, publicly. There are no physical issues with Michael Lorenzen as to why he couldn't be a starting pitcher. Uh, he's right. he's dynamite in the bullpen, and I, I see a little bit of what we saw with Chapman. He's so good out there. Those two guys are so good in the bullpen. Oh, it's do you want to try him somewhere else and and you know crack up a good uh, a good duo out there? But I, and I think you gotta. It is well. It is also probably worth noting that and you know granted players struggled at times this year and and whatnot. The Reds actually have a lot of candidates for the rotation. Um, you know we we have to assume I think that Homer Bailey will be in the rotation next year. Um, I will be absolutely shocked if Amir Garrett is not in the rotation for the majority of the year next year. And possibly from opening day, I agree. Possibly from opening day. I wouldn't be surprised if they held him back for service time, you know, that right. kind of stuff. Yeah, maybe. But, I, you know, Bailey, um, Garrett, you know, you got to figure Finnegan is going to be there again. Um, Straley probably gets a chance, and I'm not as high, I'm not super high on Straley. I think he's kind of due to regress, but I also feel like he's somebody you're going to need um, because you will have all of these young guys. Um, a fifth starter, innings eater. Oh, I, you know. and I'm, yeah, and I'm, for, I'm, I'm almost completely forgot about uh, Desclafani. Like, <laughs> and and we're not even talking about like Cody Reed, Robert Stevenson. Like, there are a lot of guys. Rookie Davis is coming along, um, so it might just be kind of at a point where the Reds are realizing that if you've got a whole bunch of guys who basically don't have anything to learn or anything to prove at AAA, at some point you've got to define roles for guys and let them come up to the majors and show what they can do. So so how about this? The Reds acquire uh, Clayton Kershaw, and then the rest of it just, you know, leave Lorenzen and Iglesias in the bullpen. You, you can come up with four other good starters out of that group. Uh, if if uh, Homer Bailey's healthy, and then all of a sudden that's a strength of the team and we're in good shape. Yeah, sounds good to me. Yeah, let's do that. You know, what talking about um, sort of unconventional pitching roles, one thing I, I've kind of always wondered about, especially with young pitchers coming up um, and the innings limits and whatnot that they're typically um, given today, one of the things I've always wondered why no team has ever tried, and I feel like the Reds would be um, a good candidate for this since they have such a huge crop, is just basically take two guys and tell them every five days – 
it's you two. Like, one of you will pitch five, one of you will pitch four. If something goes wrong, we have relief pitchers for that. But basically, kind of limit the innings of two kind of up-and-coming pitchers in that way and just have them trade off who actually starts and then who comes in in the, in the sixth or whatever. Um, I, I, I just always thought that would be an interesting way to try to approach it and potentially get some really good pitching while also keeping guys within a reasonable innings total. We gotta figure out how to get you in a baseball operations department with the Reds. That's an interesting idea. Give me a job. <laughs> yeah, if anybody's listening out there, give Jason a job. Um, yeah, that's an interesting idea. Uh, there's so many things, so much we don't know about pitchers and pitching and roles, like we've talked about, and so and and, and specifically with guys like Lorenzo Iglesias, there's so much we and and even you know Cody Reed and Robert Stevenson. So many things behind the scenes we don't know that are impacting all these decisions, and we can talk from the outside about what the best thing is to do. But uh, I just want to make a point of conceding: there's a lot we don't know uh, about yeah. these guys. Um, something else that uh, Dick Williams spoke about when he uh, met with the media was uh, the same thing we've been talking about for months and months and months, which is uh, what to do with Brandon Phillips. And Williams said that uh, we're going to talk to him. Uh, Let me just go ahead and read the quote. We'll talk to him again about where we are in our life cycle and what he wants to do, since he still has the ability to control his destiny somewhat. That's an area of depth right now, middle infield, and that's a good thing. Well, the next day or later on that day or something, Brandon Phillips uh, says, you know, i got another year here. I'm just going to be waiting on what the Reds are going to do and what other teams are going to do. Other than that, I play for the Reds and I'm happy. I can't wait to finish my career or finish my contract out here. Uh, Finish my career or finish my contract out here. That's interesting uh, phrasing. He said, this is where I want to be. That's why I'm still here. I'm happy. I played great for this city. I proved a lot of people wrong. I love the haters. They motivate me. I prove people wrong, just like I'm going to prove them wrong next year. And hopefully I can be healthy the majority of the season and I can put up numbers like I used to. Now, I, I don't know if there's anything at all to... To, to draw from either of those quotes, except that uh, Dick Williams sounds like we're going to talk to him about maybe accepting a trade if we can work one out, and Brandon Phillips sounding possibly a little more open to it this time around. Yeah, I think, I mean, first, okay, let's let's be a little bit realistic here. Um, Brandon Phillips did did have a fairly good season with the bat, relatively speaking. He also, however, finished in a full season of play with 0.9 wins above replacement. So it's not as though he was exactly setting the world on fire. Fangraphs actually has him as a negative on defense this year, um, just just slightly, but but into the negatives. Isn't that, hard, that, isn't that hard to believe? Isn't that just a, a punch it, in the gut? Brandon Phillips? It is hard to believe. Defense. But doesn't it kind of mesh with what you saw? Doesn't it seem like oh, it's, sure. not, it's not there like it used to be for him? Um. And so it's, it's, yeah, it, that is all really interesting. You know, even Dick Williams saying we have a lot of depth there and that's a good thing kind of makes it sound like we don't need Brandon Phillips. Um, and so, you know, I wonder if they might be at that point where their choices, you know, they actually do sit him down and say, all right, you're not the starter anymore. You can accept a trade to somewhere where you might start or you can be happy with your bench role here. You know, we had that uh, Red Leg Nation uh, Q&A session with a couple of the guys, Nick Crawl and Sam Grossman, the assistant general managers, um, last month. And one thing I drew from that, and again, they kind of have to talk around it just a little bit, but they were refreshingly uh, open about a lot of things. And one one thing I drew from that was 
they were kind of letting Brandon Phillips play last year, hoping that he could increase his trade value. Uh, and he did that. I would I would think to the extent, yeah. to the extent that he has any trade value at all at this point, because he is still uh, his defense has collapsed. But you know he hit the ball okay. Certainly in the second half was really uh, no no issues with Brandon Phillips and hmm. his offensive numbers held up for the for the second straight year uh, when it looked like he was declining. So you know maybe there's somebody that'll take him on. Um, but now if he's the starting second baseman on opening day, I just I don't he know, can. man. He just can't. He no. I you know that was one of those things in that Q and A when they did pretty much make it clear that it was the goal here is we want to trade Brandon Phillips and if we bench him he has no trade value. That was like oh yes okay I see that makes sense. Um, but right, it might not be the way that I would have handled that situation, yeah. but it's a reasonable way to handle that situation. Right, but now no, there is like there is no reasonable way. Like he's. Players who I think right now are probably better than Brandon Phillips. Jose Peraza, Dilson Herrera, um, Zach Cozart, if he is still with the Reds, and I'm talking about all potential middle infielders. I think, frankly, if you look at the numbers and where he is in the age cycle, Tony Renda is probably better than Brandon Phillips at this point. It's a bold like, statement, Jason. Phillips is probably fifth or sixth in terms of talent on the depth chart i mean the man is about to be he will be entering his age what 36 season next year yes age 36 yes but he's a second baseman and as i constantly say the reds cut bait with joe morgan at age 35 joe morgan joe morgan (laughs) i mean it's just second baseman just they're not good at those ages it just doesn't happen. It happens, you're right, even to the best of them. Yeah, when, when they get that age, you know. And, and Brandon, Brandon Phillips, Phillips, Brandon Phillips was a splendid, splendid player for a very long time. But Joe Morgan, he is not. Right. Yeah. It's, it's not a criticism, like uh, someone said about uh, Sparky Anderson hurts somebody comparing Thurman Munson. I think it was to Johnny Bench and. Uh, Sparky said, "Don't don't embarrass that young man by comparing him to, to the best catcher that ever and, lived." <laughs> yeah. And and here it is because I always feel the need to look this stuff up. And it, thanks to Fangraphs, it doesn't take long. In the entire history of professional baseball, there have been thirty six total seasons, not players, but total seasons by second basemen where they have generated at least two wins above replacement at thirty six or later. Right, ever. All the second basemen that have ever played. Right. It happens on average about once every like three to four years. A second baseman of that age will do that. And of course, there are a whole lot of repeated names on this list. And their name's like Joe Morgan. You know, it's not... It's not the who who was that guy kind of names. Right. Uh, You know, and I, I look at it and I say... On the next good Reds team, we've got to have a second baseman, and it's, his name's not going to be Brandon Phillips. I got to think Dilson Herrera. It would put up two, at least two wins above replacement next year. Replacement yeah. next year. I, yeah, I'm almost positive that uh, Jose Peraza would. If you're looking for a second baseman, you know, I've got uh, Eugenio Suarez on the second base depth chart ahead of uh, yeah, Brandon Phillips. Right I now, would frankly, completely agree, especially with Nick Senzel coming on like he is. Exactly, with the potential that Nick Senzel is going to be here sooner rather than later, I would not have a problem at all with uh, seeing what we got from Suarez there. So, you know, 
it always sounds, this is probably the third time in the last five or six podcasts that we've had this conversation. Uh, and it sounds like we're being critical of Brandon Phillips. We're not. Brandon Phillips is a Reds Hall of Famer. He's had a good career. You actually used the word splendid a moment ago to describe his yeah. career. And he has been. This has nothing to do with Brandon Phillips. It has to do with Brandon Phillips is, uh, is aging. And it's just, it's life, man. It's just. And the only thing I would say is that, and I, you know, this is no surprise to anyone. Brandon Phillips is rather famous for his ego, and he doesn't seem. And again, I'm on the outside, and I don't know, but he doesn't seem like the kind of player who would be willing to accept a diminished role, um, even though his talents might, at this point, merit a diminished role. Yeah, I know. Yeah, it's. Uh, yeah, I was reading. A, I'm reading a biography of Roberto Clemente right now. The uh, David Marinus uh, biography of uh, of Clemente, and it's it's really good. But it was talking about the 1971 Pirates uh, championship team, and well, actually, I'm I'm up to the point where they're in Game Seven of that World Series now, so don't don't spoil it for me. I'm assuming they won. Uh, but <laughs> but anyway, there was a I think it was I think Don Hoke had been the starter on their 1960 World Champion team, and at that time was uh, and he was a middle infielder. He was late. Uh, he might have been a third baseman, but he was in his mid to late thirties at that time. And he, there was a, a sort of a digression in the narrative about how he accepted, you know, he'd had a long career with the Pirates, and he accepted a bench role and was uh, uh, really enjoying imparting some uh, some of his wisdom to some of the younger guys, and it wasn't causing any problems in the clubhouse. And and you know, if Brandon Phillips wants to do that, he can still swing the bat a little bit, and he could help the team, you know, some. But I just, I yeah, you know, I'm I'm like you, I don't really see that happening. Right. So, yeah. I don't know. I think that's another thing over the off season, as we've said before. Uh, it's got to be settled this off season. It has. To, it has to be. And, like, it's it's time. Well, and, and and what I wrote at Red Leg Nation this week was where Brandon Phillips is playing next year is going to be an early litmus test for the seriousness of the Dick Williams regime when it comes to this rebuilding process. And I really truly believe that. I, I am completely 100% on the same page as you. Man, when you agree with me, it makes it so much easier, Jason. I know, right? <laughs> yes. Anything else you want to talk about? You enjoying the playoffs? I am enjoying the playoffs. It's, it's you know, the playoffs are always fun. In a way, you know, I, obviously I always want the Reds to be the best team in baseball and in the playoffs. But when your team isn't in there, it's kind of just, it just becomes almost like harmless fun. <laughs> right. You know, it's just like, oh, look, baseball, how nice. And I don't have any emotional investment in it at all. Yeah, it's it's fun to watch some of the, the, the great players from other teams, the uh, the Bryce Harpers and the – I like getting to watch Corey Seager, although I watched Corey Seager a lot more this year because I was listening to Vin Scully so often. But uh, what a great-looking young player that is. And guys like Kershaw and I love what Mookie Betts. I've not gotten to watch him play much this year, but he's he's a fun guy to watch play. Andrew Benatendi, the the kid from Cincinnati area. So yeah, that's my. If you like baseball, it's just it's fun. There's, it's tense. There, I, I want the Reds to be back in the playoffs, Jason. I don't think it will be that long. Oh, you are you, uh, basically what you're saying is you're promising that they're going to be in the playoffs next year. Is that was that what I'm hearing from you? They're going to win 117 games next year. Absolutely, take it to the bank. Let me write that down because that might have to be the title of this podcast. <laughs> All right, uh, thank you for listening to Red Leg Nation Radio, episode number 151, which is still it amazes me that we've uh, recorded that many of these. 
You can uh, follow us on uh, Twitter at Red Leg Nation. Follow Jason at Jason Linden, uh, J-A-S-O-N-L-I-N-D-E-N. Follow me at Dotson C. I would appreciate if you'd uh, subscribe to the podcast and, and go to iTunes. Search for Red Leg Nation Radio at iTunes, or you can go to the website there at Red Leg Nation. It will have the link to the iTunes link to subscribe to the podcast. I appreciate if you subscribe, and as I say every every week, leave us a review, leave us a rating. It does help. Uh, it does help other people find us. And uh, because I do think that, as I said, we've hit we've hit rock bottom. And I think we're gonna have a lot of fun talking about the Reds over the next uh, over the next year. So, Jason, any any parting words for us? No. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. Uh, for Jason Linden, this is Chad Dotson saying. So long, When you drive a vehicle so reliable it's backed by a 10-year, 100,000-mile limited warranty, you stop thinking about what you can't do and start doing what you never thought possible. Visit your local Kia dealer today to see what you're capable of in a vehicle that inspires confidence around every corner. Kia. Movement that inspires. Call 800-333-4KIA for details. Always drive safely. Limited inventory available. Warranties include 10-year, 100,000-mile powertrain and 5-year, 60,000-mile basic. Warranties are limited. See retailer for details.